0: i want us just to say a word of prayer for the word uh since we're going to be reading through our bible reading for the week and uh uh, rather than us standing as we read uh 50 verses uh, we're going to go through this uh, in the study tonight so let's ask god to speak to us we're going to be studying tonight our passage which is john chapter number 12 and uh, this is jesus uh, final words in his public ministry. And uh, so uh, before he kind of retreated to his time with his disciples leading up to his crucifixion. So let's uh, ask God to speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that uh, it is the most powerful and important and significant thing in our lives. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that we would treat the word tonight uh, with what it deserves. And that is an understanding of how powerful and transformational it is so, Lord God, as we rejoice tonight, as we enjoy your presence, now with solemnity, we look into your word and say, God, teach me, help me understand, help me grow through the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray this. And everybody said, amen. 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 The Lord bless you. You may be seated. As we mentioned, John chapter 12, which is our reading for the week, John chapter 12 is the closing scenes of Jesus' public ministry after john chapter 12 he's no longer ministering to the hebrew people as a whole it's now the events that would lead to his crucifixion and the final words to his beloved disciples now what we see in in john chapter 12 as we read it's going to reveal to us how that even though for the first 12 chapters of john jesus revealed himself through his miracles and his teaching, he showed who he was. But the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, through a lack of understanding or spiritual blindness, had rejected him. And at the end of chapter 12, we see that, that the Lord hides himself. And uh, from that point on, basically, they've rejected him. And he's, he's saddened by it because he knows what the result of that is going to be of course this is shown from the very beginning in John chapter 1 the Bible says in John chapter 1 he came unto his own and his own received him not that was the Jewish people and so these uh, closing scenes of Jesus public ministry in chapter 12 there are four scenes and so as you read through your Bible reading this week I want you to remember these four scenes like if you were watching a play uh, you, There's a new scene. There are four scenes here uh, at the end. And uh, so these final scenes, number one, in verses 1 through 11, we'll look at as Jesus has this final time with his friends in Bethany in chapter 12. And then the next one is from uh, uh, verses 12 through 19 is Jesus spending time with the Passover pilgrims as they're coming into Jerusalem, these that have come for the Passover, and that's the triumphal entry. And uh, then verses 20 through 36 is there were some Gentiles that were there uh, among the pilgrims that were Believers and curious and searching, and they wanted to talk to Jesus. And then the last verses, the verses thirty-seven uh, through the end of the chapter, are uh, the verses that focus on Jesus and the unbelieving Jews. So four major scenes, and uh, as we see here, the idea being that all the evidence was there, uh, but the nation of Israel and its leaders rejected Jesus Christ. So we'll start with scene one. All right, scene one is in the city of Bethany, in a house, and Jesus was there with his friends. These were not his disciples, even though they were disciples of Jesus, but they were his friends. And three key friends that we're going to look at is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Let's read the first 11 verses. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. Everybody say, Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. And of course, if you read the verse before, uh, I'm sorry, the chapter before, and then later on in this chapter, you will notice that a lot of people came, they wanted to see Lazarus. There were lots of people that wanted to see Lazarus because of his testimony that he was dead. And they saw him dead. They knew that he'd been thrown in the tomb. They knew that he was three days in the tomb and that his body had already be, been begun to decompose, but God, that Jesus Christ raised him from the dead. So people gathered around. So Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment then saith one of his disciples judas iscariot simon's son which should betray him why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor this he said not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein then said jesus jesus rebuked judas let her alone Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Much people of the Jews, therefore, knew that he was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. And But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. I think it's interesting that uh, Jesus already knew that they were conspiring to kill him, but he came close to the headquarters of his enemies, right in Bethany, so that he could spend time with these three key people Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And as we begin this reading, we see that Mary comes into the room where Jesus is and kneels down at the feet of Jesus and anoints his feet. Now, there are three different accounts of this uh, in in the uh, Synoptic or the other Gospels. And as we read them, we see that she anointed Jesus' feet and his head. And most scholars believe that this is not to be confused uh, with another event where another Mary anointed the feet of Jesus as well. This other Mary was a converted former harlot. But this Mary that we're talking about, Mary of Bethany, Uh, was a virtuous woman who just loved Jesus so much, and at her heart, she was a worshiper. So her act of love that she poured on Jesus, and Jesus said, it's a prophetic thing because it's against the day of my burial. There are a lot of people that are going to anoint my body after I die, but she's prophetically anointing my body. She recognizes what's going to happen, and in a sense... This anointing of his body for burial set in motion our redemption, if you think about it. It was through the death of Jesus that you and I have hope today. And her act of worship set it in motion. This was the first act that began the process of Jesus' passion. So as she was pouring out her love and worship on Jesus, it was very public Everybody could see it. It was spontaneous and it was sacrificial. Because the amount of money that's mentioned here would be a year's wages. So we're talking about forty dollars to $50,000. That's pretty expensive ointment, right? That's more expensive than Tom Ford. That's some expensive stuff. And she poured it out on the feet of Jesus and on his head as well. And it was lavish. It was like over the top. And she was not... Embarrassed, She poured it out on Jesus. She took the position of a slave, knelt down at the feet of Jesus, and she undid her hair, which a, a Jewish lady would not do in public. And she took her uncut hair, and she placed her glory on the feet of Jesus and began to wipe his feet with her hair after she had poured this ointment and with her tears as she is worshiping the Lord. Now, here's the deal. When people give their all to God, they're going to be misunderstood and criticized. And her act of passionate worship, pouring herself out to God, to Jesus Christ, because of who he was, how much she loved him, and what he had done for her. He raised her brother from the dead. She poured it out on Jesus, and there was criticism that began to happen. Judas was the one that kicked off the criticism. He said, what a waste. What a waste. You could have taken this ointment that you just spilled out on the floor on on his feet and you could have sold it. And uh, you could have taken the money that came from it and you could have fed poor people. And of course, Lazarus, uh, I'm sorry, Judas was one who wanted to position himself so people would look up to him. He had this human pride thing and he wanted people to look up to him. Oh, he's so noble. He is very good with money and he's concerned about poor people. Uh, but the reality was he had character issues. He was in love with money. He was overly concerned with money. And as a result of that, the Bible says that he was, in fact, a thief. He was all concerned about the money. In reality, he didn't realize that this was an act of worship. This was a prophetic thing that was happening. He was obtuse. He was clued out. And the reality is, a lot of people name their kids Mary today, right? We have lots of Mar- Marias in the church. Amen? A lot of people name their kids Maria. I haven't met very many people named Judas. Have you? Not too many people name their kids Judas. Judas. Uh, Because what Mary did was an act of worship that was not just that day. The odor filled the house, but the odor has filled the universe for all of time and eternity. And today we still celebrate and think about her expression and her act of worship. But the name Judas is associated with treachery. And many people believe, many people believe there's no doubt that the Lord's rebuke of Judas about this because of his pride, it probably played into his decision to betray Jesus. When he was rebuked, his resentment turned into bitterness, and he betrayed Jesus Christ. Now, uh, as I clo- bring this scene to a close here, there are three things. I w- are, uh, one thing I want you to notice, that, there, that these three friends of Jesus are representative people. Mary, Martha. Lazarus. You see this a lot in scripture. There are true individuals, true stories, but as you look at the characters, they are representative of certain things. And uh, if you think at it for a minute, you probably could figure it out that Mary represents worship. Martha represents work and service. And Lazarus, what does he represent? A witness. So you got worship, work, and witness. Now, I want to tell you that Martha, who was busy serving her work, was also a fragrance to the Lord as well. It was also something that was appreciated by Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was about to go through the most stressful week of his life. He was about to experience tremendous pressure. And before this, he went to be refreshed and rejuvenated with his friends. And what was it? that he gained from these three people that gave him strength, the worship, the work, and the witness of his friends. So I want you to look here, and the Bible says in, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16, it says, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. How many believe it's important to be a worshiper? to give praise to the Lord. But look at the next verse. It says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God loves our worship, but he also loves our service. When we worship God and come into his presence and get lost in the presence of the Lord, it is a fragrance to the Lord. It is a uh, a, a sacrifice to the Lord. It is an incense to the Lord, but also our service and working for God is also a sacrifice that pleases God as well. Amen? Amen? And then Lazarus, of course, as we read here, the people came from all around to hear him speak, to hear his story, because he was a powerful witness. And it is the will of God. That those of us who have been saved, that we're ready at all times to give an answer and a response as to why we're so happy, why we have peace, why we have joy, and what the Lord has done for us. Amen. These three people. Now, I want you to look. I, I was just thinking about this as I was, uh, as I was uh, getting ready for, as we were going through the worship service, I looked at this thing here. It's held up. By three legs. It's balance. I, I think we're on to something here. Because the best balance, three legs. Uh, here's another one. There's another one. There's a, look, we'll look at the podium that is right there that uh, the computer is resting on. Once again, three legs. And when you use a, uh, a camera, you, you purchase back there. You can see the cameras on a tripod. Why? Because these three legs provide the optimum balance. And I want you to think about this first scene, and I want you to remember these words, the balance of Bethany. The balance in a Christian's life is to have a balance of worship, work, and witness. Worship, work, and witness. We can't afford to just lean on one and neglect the others. Amen? But I believe it's the will of God for us to have the balance of Bethany in our spiritual life that we love to worship God. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I love to sit at Jesus' feet. I love to hear the word. I love to express my praise and worship to God. I love to get lost in his presence, amen. This is important if you're gonna survive and thrive as a believer, but at the same time, there has to be a balance of, Lord, let me be a part of your mission. Let me find a way to serve my brothers and sisters. I don't wanna sit and watch other people work, but I wanna be a part of this balance of Beth. I want to be a worker. I want to be involved in serving. I want to be counted on amen? amen Amen, and then witness as well praise God God's been good to us And the Lord has blessed us and we have a witness and a testimony and if you want to be a thriving and a growing Christian you've got to get the balance of Bethany and be a worshiper and be a worker and be a witness if you believe that shout Amen, amen. scene two scene two Jesus And the Passover pilgrims. I'm going to go over this part quickly. This is the triumphal entry. On the next day, verse 12, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Sion, behold, thy king cometh sitting on an ass's colt. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things were written of him in the Old Testament, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bore record. For this cause the people also met him, for that they heard. That he had done this miracle the pharisees therefore said among themselves perceive ye how ye prevail nothing behold the world is gone after him so in this noisy parade on the next day in this scene as jesus comes into the city of jerusalem these pilgrims who had come from all over to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem welcomed Jesus. The way they welcomed him, they took their garments and they spread them out and they took palm branches and they waved them and began to shout, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And this was seen as a tri- that as Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem as he was declaring that, yes, it is true, I am the Messiah. But as you look at the other Um, versions of the story, you notice that at this point, Jesus wept because he realized, he said, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you together as a hen gathers his chickens, but you would not. Uh, He said he wept because the nation had wasted its opportunity. And instead of it being a message of peace on earth, he knew that in their destiny and future was war and suffering and scattering in their future. And so Jesus was there. He knew what was ahead. And there in the end of this passage, as they are declaring God's greatness, declaring the greatness of Jesus, the Pharisees, it said, were nervous because they had tried to turn people away from Jesus. And they were fearful that Jesus was going to cause them problems. Is he going to maybe cause an uprising during the Passover? Is he going to work a miracle and try to turn the people against the Roman rule? They were very nervous at this point and already scheming to have Jesus crucified. This is scene two. Let's jump to scene three now. Scene three is in verses 20 through 36. And this is during this kind of, it's a scene within a scene as Jesus is, uh, uh, being welcomed into Jerusalem. All of a sudden there were some Gentile or Greek people who had come to the Passover as well. These were devout people. They were believers. Maybe they hadn't proselyted yet to, uh, Judaism, but they were very curious and they would go to the synagogue and they would study the Hebrew Scriptures. So these people wanted to have a meeting with Jesus. Let's read uh, verse 20. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was a Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And uh, of course, the, the message of John, when you read the book of John, you will notice that it presents the gospel as universal. From the outset, it's not about the Jews, even though at the beginning of the church, many in the church believed that it was just a Jewish sect, that Hebrew believers could become Christians. But it says all through John, for God so loved the world, not the Jews, for God so loved the world. Uh, that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him would not perish. So it's a universal, not universal in that everybody's gonna be saved, but universal in that it will make no distinction of the people groups or the languages or the backgrounds. The message is to everyone. He loved the world. He came that the world might be saved. So I want you to listen to Jesus' message to them. He sent back the message when they said, we would like to see Jesus. And I think it's cool. They didn't want to see a miracle. They didn't want to see a sign. They wanted to have a a time with Jesus. And Jesus answered, the next verse, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. I want you to notice, he, wasn't, he didn't say, I'm about to be crucified. He said, I'm about to be glorified. He was able to look through the crucifixion to see what was going to come. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Everybody say, all alone. Uh, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Jesus said, the hour is coming. I'm about to be glorified. Of course, he knew that he was about to go into the ground. He was about to die so that his purpose be fulfilled he knew that his purpose on the earth could not be fulfilled until he died and he used a a seed the idea of a seed to illustrate an important point the important point being there could be no glory without suffering there could be no fruit without death and there could be no victory without surrender This is the paradox of serving God. You don't get victory by fighting. You get victory by surrendering. And so I want you to think about this. Jesus was, he always used parables. But he said, think about the seed. The seed cannot fulfill its purpose until it dies. It can't fulfill its purpose until it dies and is buried. Now, imagine... When you go to plant a seed in the ground, if the seed could talk, it's coming out, of the, um, coming out of the seed place, and you put it in the dark ground and bury it, if the seed could talk, it would probably complain. Why are you putting me in the dark? Why are you burying me? What's going on here? The cold, dark earth. But here's the deal. A seed can't fulfill its purpose until it's planted. And I think it's important for us to understand, we're just like seeds. God's children are like seeds. You and I are like seeds. We're small and we're insignificant. I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips. And sometimes we, uh, our ego gets the best of us and uh, we think we're huge. But the reality is, we're just seeds, small and insignificant. But we have life in us. We have God's eternal life in us. We have virtue and power. The Bible says there is a treasure in this earthen vessel. Amen? The excellency is not of us, it's of God. It's not about the seed, it's about the miracle inside of the seed. But the miracle can never happen, and life can never be fulfilled until we yield ourselves to God and let him plant us. Amen? We have to die to ourself in order to live to God. Did you pull up Galatians 2.20? I forgot to put it in my notes, but Galatians 2.20. The Bible says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God's purpose in my life Cannot happen if I stay alive. I have to surrender and die in order for the explosive miracle of reproduction and fruit to come out of this pitiful life here. Amen? It's got to, I've got to die. And I can never have a fruitful life until I follow Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. Can I get an amen, somebody? It's not until I'm born again that the supernatural power begins to germinate and uh, uh, become visible in my life. Jesus' greatest challenge to you and me is this. We have to surrender our lives to him because if we hold on to our lives, the fruit will never be born. But if we say, okay, God, I'm ready to die to my own plans and my own desires and put my life in your hands, now plant me somewhere. Put me somewhere. Let me die out to self let me go through a process of feeling like all hope is gone, and all my vision is gone, and everything I thought was gone, but God, I'm putting it in your hands, and I'm trusting you, because I believe that the greatest thing that can happen in my life is not what I can produce, but it's what it's, you can supernaturally produce through me when I die, when I die out to you, because if I choose to save my life, I'll lose it, but if I say, God, my purpose, my, my desires, I'm putting it to death, I'm nailing it to the cross, I want to die with you because i want your purpose to happen in my life so jesus was saying universally and he was saying to those that were interested he said if you want the glory you've got to be willing to die if we yield our lives if we allow god to plant us uh, amen then good things are going to happen so the question is is do you want to be comfortable or do you want to be conformable I know the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but we are supposed to be conformed to something else. The Bible teaches we're to be conformed to the image of his son. That's Jesus Christ. God's shaping us through death. You can't become like Jesus till you die. Let me make it plain. You can't become like Jesus till you truly repent. Till you give up all of your vision. Till you give up all of the things, your pride, and you nail it to the cross with Jesus Christ. And you say, I want a change of heart. I want a change of direction. I don't want to be in the driver's seat anymore. I'm moving to the passenger seat. And Lord, you're the pilot. Amen? Heard people put, had a bumper sticker, God's my co-pilot. Well, you need to switch seats then because he needs to be the pilot of your life. Amen? He needs to be the one in charge. So the question is, do you want to be comfortable? If being comfortable is your goal on this earth, then what will you do? You'll protect your plans. You'll protect your desires and you'll save your life and you'll never be planted and you'll never see the fruit. Amen? But it's when we're planted that we bear fruit. And when we stand before Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, he won't say, depart from me, you unprofitable servant. Amen? Praise God. Hallelujah. So... Jesus is asking us to yield our lives and to allow God to plant us. And if so, we'll never be alone and we'll always be fruitful. Amen. So Jesus then prayed as we continue. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said, well, an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me this he said signifying what death he should die the people answered him uh, we have heard out of the law that christ abideth forever so if you're the messiah are you really going to die and he said how sayest thou the son of man must be lifted up who is this son of man then jesus said unto them yet a little while is the light with you walk while you have the light lest darkness come upon you for he that walketh in darkness Knoweth not whither he goeth. While while ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and hid himself from them. So in this passage, Jesus spoke of the cross. If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. It spoke of the crucifixion, but it also spoke of the glorification that was going to happen when Jesus was lifted up. He said, yet a little while do you have the light with you said, it's just a little longer. It's fixing to be gone, but you've got the light with you right now. And you have time right now to believe, to take those steps of faith and to be saved. Respond to it while you have the chance. And then at the end of this scene, Jesus departed and hid himself. His public ministry was done. And the fact that he hid himself was a judgment to those who heard his ministry, saw the miracles, but all they did was scrutinized him, and they refused to believe. So the final scene now is scene four. It's Jesus and the unbelieving Jews. Let me read this, the, the final passage here. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, Who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe. Because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. We read this on Sunday. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and "'Spake of him. "'Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, "'but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, "'lest they should be put out of the synagogue. "'For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. "'Jesus cried and said, "'He that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. "'And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. "'I am come a light into the world, "'and whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness.' And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. We're going to be judged by the words of Jesus. We're going to be judged by the word of God. For I have not spoken of myself, but the father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his commandment is life everlasting. Everybody say life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the father said unto me, so I speak. And in this closing section where Jesus kind of gives final statements to the unbelieving Jews, Eight times, the operative word is believe, believe. Eight times, he mentions believe. He said, you've seen all the evidence. The arm of the Lord's been revealed to you, yet you have had your eyes closed to the truth. And I want you to notice that it's, it's interesting how, how it states it here. Because when a person starts to resist light, something begins to change in them. And they finally come to a place where they cannot believe. They can't believe. It's impossible for them to believe. And it's a, it's a judicial blindness. And this is quoting from Isaiah uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, where he said, Go tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not. See ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. What's that saying? It's saying blindness comes over the eyes of those who don't take the truth seriously. You got to take it seriously. You got to take the word of God seriously. Because if you don't take it seriously, then eventually you won't be able to believe. So the Bible says seek the Lord while he may be found. Amen. In some Believed in Jesus at the end there, but they would not confess him because they were fearful of man instead of God. And then in the final words here uh, of this chapter, it talks about the judge, the judge. This word appears four times in the final mission, the final message, public message to the Jews. He said, I didn't come to judge. I came to save the world. But since I came, now you're going to be judged by my words. Because I came, you're going to be judged by the word. And it's it's very important for us to recognize that we will be faced at judgment with every word of scripture we have read and heard. That's why I said from the beginning, before we started reading the Bible together, before we started studying today, is while we rejoice and we enjoy and we feast and we worship God, it's important to understand the gravity of the word of God. You're saved by the word. You're saved by the word, and eventually we will be judged by the word of God. So it's important how we hear. Amen. Because if we hear the word and we're like, I'm not interested in that, then the time's gonna come when it's gonna be impossible for us to hear. Because judicial blindness and deafness has come upon us, and we can't receive the word. And so Jesus came to save, but if we don't put our trust in Him, the Savior, Will become the judge. God was manifest in the flesh, reconciling the world unto Himself. Jesus Christ was God, manifest in the flesh. And because He came, He came to save the world. He didn't come to judge, but He revealed Himself. He spoke the words and because he revealed and because he spoke and because spoke, and because he was the preacher he was the declarer of the word now the word we're going to be judged by we're out of excuses now amen jesus came because he loves us jesus came to save us but now because he came we are going to be judged by his words the last thing i want to read in your hearing is acts chapter 17 verse 29 It says, for as much then as we are the offspring of God. How many believe you're a child of God? Amen. Amen. That we're different than the animals. We are the offspring of God. We ought not to think that the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. Now, context of this verse, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to... On Mars Hill to all these people that worshipped all of these gods. And they had one God there called the unknown God. So he's speaking to them. He says, this is one thing we know as human beings. That there is part of God in us. We're an offspring of God. We're a, we're, we, we have something divine in a sense. We have the, the design, divine spark in us. You know that. So why would you think then that God would be made of stone or gold or silver? Because if we're the offspring of God, then we would be gold and silver and whatnot. So the reality is, if we're the offspring of God, then we're going to look like he looked. We're going to be made in his image. Come on, somebody. We're going to be made in the image of God. So look at the next thing. And... And the times of this ignorance, God winked at. In other words, people were like, we know there's a God. There's got to be a God. He created everything. And we sense there's something unique about us as people. We're not like the wolves. We're not like the rabbits. We have a sense of our eternal being. We have this sense and desire to worship a living God. We, we're made in the image of God but now we're worshiping stone idols. We're worshiping golden idols. The Bible says at a time the Lord winked at it because he recognized their ignorance. Everybody say ignorance. What does ignorance mean? It doesn't mean they're stupid. It just means they don't know better, right? Ignorance means they don't know any better. And Jesus for a time winked at their ignorance. But look at this. It says, but now commandeth. All men everywhere to repent. Everywhere to repent. Why? Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. Whereof he hath given assurance to all men in that he raised him from the dead. Who's the man speaking of Jesus Christ? We're going to be judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the reality is you don't have any more excuses. He's not going to wink at ignorance anymore. Jesus rose from the dead as a sign to the entire world that he was more than just a man, but he was God manifest in the flesh. And now we got to worship, amen, the Lord of glory who revealed himself in flesh. And this fleshly individual was given a name that's above every name in heaven, every name in earth, and every name that's been named under the earth. That at the name of Jesus Every Christian knee shall bow. Uh-uh. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, to the glory of the Father, amen. There is coming a day when every tongue shall confess. Jesus came and because he came, because he spoke the words, we are going to be judged by the Word of God, Amen? Amen. Praise God, and we have this hope because He lives. We have a chance to live because He has eternal life. We have eternal life, Amen. Amen. Praise God, Amen. Let's give the Lord a, a hand clap of praise and thanks <clears throat> for His grace, Amen, and His goodness to us. Praise the Lord. Let's stand together right now, and um, three key points from this study tonight as as we wrap up here. Brother Ulysses, I did good on the time, right? And uh, Sunday evening, my daughter Brooklyn, she just said, Dad, you preach too long. (laughs) Uh, My little uh, tiny truth teller. My uh, mobile moral conscience, that's what she is. And uh, so anyway, three key points tonight. Number one, a key point is God wants us to have the balance of Bethany as believers, to be worshipers, to be workers, and to be a witness. Amen? Secondly, God's purpose for us can never be realized until we surrender our lives to him. As long as we're holding on to our lives, he's not going to plant us. As long as we're holding on, the fruit's never going to come out. But when we finally surrender, and you know what? Some some of us, we're so stubborn, it takes extreme measures to get us to surrender. But God's more interested in us being conformed to the image of his son than he is in us being comfortable. So he'll put us through the ringer until we're willing to surrender. Why? Because he knows what's inside of you. Woo! Whatever's in me, God, I want you to bring it out. So whatever you have to put me through to surrender to you so that I can walk in victory, amen? Praise God. And then the final point is that we are going to be judged by the words of God. And so we've got to respond to truth. We've got to respond to it. We've got to have an appetite for it, appetite for the word of God. And when God speaks to us, when the Lord convicts us, when the word of God convicts us, if you ignore it and turn a deaf ear, there's going to be a time when you cannot hear anymore. Judicial blindness. Because you rejected the truth, now I'm going to make it where you can't even see the truth. So he says, seek him while you may be found. Walk in the light while the light's here. Darkness is coming. But if you can walk in the light, there's time to be saved. And guess what? The day of salvation is now. If you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you don't need to wait another day. If you're feeling conviction in your heart, now is the time to respond. Some of us feel like, well, I'll have another chance. And by God's grace and mercy, maybe you will. But the reality is, all of us, at one point, are going to have our last chance. And in John chapter 12, it was the last chance for those people. Jesus had showed miracles and spoken his words. And uh, they were fearful of man or wrapped up in whatnot. and their old beliefs and they, they refused to believe Jesus. And Jesus said... There's a little bit longer where the light's going to be with you. Walk in it. Because darkness is coming. And I know, I really believe that Jesus is coming soon. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. Look at the world events. Look at the upheaval in our world. Did you know that a radical uh, ISIS member came in and slit the throat of a priest? Today? Or yesterday? 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 All of these things happening one after another in our nation, internationally, it lets you know something's boiling over. I mean, it's no, it's no, uh, it's no uh, just coincidence that the only candidates we have for president, almost half of the voters don't even want them, and people afraid of both of them. What kind of a world are we living in? We're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. And we have the light for a little while longer. we got to work while it's day. we got to worship. Amen. I don't know if Martha and Mary Lazarus knew it was just the last few hours that they were going to be with Jesus. But they were worshiping. They were working. Amen. And they were witnessing about Jesus because the light was with them. Amen. Let's pray for one another right now. Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord God. That's it, reach over and pray for that person next to you. I thank you, Jesus, for my brothers and sisters. I thank you, Lord, that you loved me enough to reach out to me and to touch my heart and to draw me into your presence. And I thank you, Lord God, uh, that you saved me by your blood and you put your spirit inside of me and gave me new life. And I recognize today, Lord God, that great things uh, are going to come out of my life, uh, not because of who I am or this poor, miserable, wretched seed, but it's because there's a miracle housed in me. So Jesus, let me die out uh, to my desires and my goals uh, and let lord jesus me be planted in your purpose so that fruit can be born i thank you jesus i thank you jesus for what you've done and i thank you by faith lord god for what you're going to do through life church there are men and ladies in this house who have not yet seen the fullness of your purpose for their life There are men and there are ladies in this place right now going through challenges and difficulties and wondering why. God's saying, just trust me, I'm planting you. You may feel alone, it may feel dark, it may feel cold right now. But in the next season, in the next season, there's going to be birth. In the next season, there's going to be miraculous movement. In the next season something that looks dead is going to spring forth uh, with multiplication and with fruit Uh, hallelujah in the name of jesus god we're going to trust you your will not not my will but yours be done lord jesus let us follow you lord god take up our cross and say nevertheless not my will but thine be done let me be planted in the likeness of your death uh, that I could come out in the likeness of your resurrection in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for faith. Thank you for power. Thank you for fire. Thank you for anointing. Thank you for purpose that comes uh, through trusting you in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Now, why don't we just worship him now? Come on, let's have a merry moment right now. Let's have a merry moment right now. Lord Jesus, I love you. I love you so much. I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to give my love to you, Jesus. You died for me. Nobody else died for me, and you saved me. Nobody else could even save me, but you loved me when I was unlovable. You reached out to me when when I was doing nothing but uh, shaking my fist at you, and you loved me anyway, Lord, and I love you back right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. I love much. You've forgiven me. You've washed me. You've cleaned me, and I love you today. Lord Jesus uh, I praise you Lord uh, and I magnify your name uh, and I worship you I worship you hallelujah Lord hallelujah hallelujah praise God and I feel his presence here that's good hallelujah hallelujah praise God praise God thank you Jesus amen as we leave here today as we go about our business this week I want you to think about Jesus in Bethany Sitting there and being blessed by the witness of Lazarus. Being blessed by the work of Martha. Oh, the food's wonderful. Hospitality's off the charts. Being blessed by the worship of Mary. What was it? It was ministering to him. And worship's kind of an easier one for us to connect to because we know when we're worshiping God that it's going up as a incense, that the altar of incense was right before you enter the holy place in the tabernacle. So when we're worshiping, when we're praying, we're offering up incense. And it's ministering to God, just like the fragrance that filled the room, just like the act of service and love that ministered to the physical Jesus. Our worship has that effect. On our Savior today. But I also want you to recognize that when you're serving, when you show up early to church to be a part of one of these teams, when you say, okay, I'm going to let somebody else enjoy the service, I'm going to work with the kids tonight because I want to be a part of ministry. Ministry is serving. You guys know that? Ministry is not a position or ha- having a microphone or a title. Ministry is serving. And that's why when you think about the, the uh, we, we have the org chart of the church, but I think we got it upside down. We should flip it around. Because in my position, which typically as the pastor, C- CEO would be at the top of the chart, but in the kingdom of God, it's at the bottom of the chart because I'm servant to all. And whenever I serve and whenever you serve, incense begins to go up it's not as recognizable because it doesn't feel as spiritual because we don't have tears flowing and we're not in a big group and people aren't shouting and applauding and we don't feel the goosebumps sometimes we may have a headache and we may not feel like it but we're serving God and when you're serving God it's a fragrance it's an incense, I want you to think about that can you think about that this week next week when you Serve in your role. I'm doing this unto the Lord. I'm not doing this for Ulysses. I'm not doing this for Pastor Brown. I'm not doing this for Sister Maria. I'm not doing this for the ministry lead. I'm doing this unto the Lord. I'm going to follow the direction. I'm not going to do my own thing. I'm going to, because I understand I've got to work with what's happening. But serving within the role as a part of the ministry of this church and as a part of seeking and saving lost people is ministry to the Lord. And Jesus sits back just like in Bethany. Oh, this is wonderful. I'm blessed by this. Can you, can you envision that? And when you open your mouth to tell people about Jesus, when you teach a Bible study, when you spend time investing in ministering through discipleship to new people, Brother Francisco, when you send the texts out to those new people and say, hey, we missed you last Sunday. I want to see you. It's not just a task. It's incense. It's worship. It's ministry. It's serving God. So we're going to serve God together. You got that? If you got it, let's put our hands together for the Lord right now. He's good. (laughs) Hallelujah.